0: After the huge success of his Oscar-nominated films *The Fighter*, *Silver Linings Playbook*, and *American Hustle*, David O. Russell is back with his latest *Joy*, starring Jennifer Lawrence. In this episode of 92Y Talks, the director sits down with Real Pieces moderator Annette Insdorf to discuss the drama, which is based on a true story with actress Isabella Rossellini. The conversation was recorded on December 15, 2015, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Well, we are very pleased to be welcoming the director and one of the actors from Joy. And I just want to start off with one word of congratulations, because last week, when they announced the nominees for the Golden Globes, Joy received a nomination for Best Film in the Musical or Comedy category. Nice way to start. Um, I'm going to say one thing just honestly. I was expecting from most of the actors in the film the excellence that they've been showing for years, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro, but in all honesty, the actor who surprised me the most was Isabella Rossellini (laughs) with the fully realized (laughs) character. of you. So I am very grateful to have both. I'm going to start off with a question for David O. Russell. Although you said you wanted to tell them something about the 92nd Street Y and its importance to you.
1: I, this has been a very special place to me, going back to when I was a struggling writer here and I would come up here to see great writers speak on this stage. So it's an honor for me to be here. And I want to thank you all for coming out. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So i tell the story I'll tell the story
0: Honor for us too. Um, could you tell us just a little about the origin of this? I know that the story was co written with Annie Mumolo, who also co wrote the original Bridesmaids film with Kristen Wiig. How did that develop, um, and did you write the screenplay directly for most or all of the actors?
1: Well, just to clarify, uh, the project was offered to Jennifer and myself together as a team, and um, we we thought, in some senses, it might be too soon for us to do something together again so quickly. But we also believe in acting from instinct, so we both talked about it quite a bit and decided there was a movie here that we hadn't seen before, that we want, both wanted to make, that exceeded Annie's draft. And Annie very graciously actually stepped aside, because she knew I wanted to write it from the ground up. And, she, and I have great admiration for her work. But she had a different thing that was more of a biopic. And I, didn't, I wanted to do something that had these larger questions in it. Um, what is the emotion joy when you're 10 years old in your room? What is it when you're married? What is it when you're divorced and, and trying to support yourself? And you must make peace with, with life and your family. So she stepped aside, and I, I, we share story by credit. And uh, I wrote the script from the ground up, and I do write principally forced for Jennifer and to do things we've never done before. That's, uh, that, that's, and, then, and then for Robert and Bradley and so on to do things that are worthy of them that we've not done before.
0: If I'm not mistaken, because I did a little research, Trudy is a fictional
1: character? Well, partly. I mean, it is, it is absolutely true. Some of the stranger things in the movie are true. Um, and I got the blessing of Joy, my, the actual Joy, who it's based on, to do with it what I wanted to do. And I'm happy to say she embraces the spirit of the film because I wanted to make cinema out of it. And there was a girl. The only reason any of this happened, why we're sitting here right now, is because the 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 man, the father, Rudy, was a romantic who ran a metal garage that built all the school bus routes in eastern Long Island and maintained the buses, and had a divorce that went on for many years with Joy's mother, and he was a great romantic, who dated uh, on. I, all these crazy facts I learned on a, on a 900 number. Um, <laughs> you know, because I, I said to Joy, I said, when did you really think of this idea? Because to me, it's not as much just about the creation of one idea and that it's about uh, someone creating a family business that's rather large and really becoming true to themselves and learning how to wield power and lose their innocence in some way. So uh, she said it was on a boat. I said, just like the scene with De Niro. I said, like a motorboat? She said, no, a big 60-foot sailboat. I go, but you told me you were broke. She said, I was broke. It was my father's boat. But I said, but you said he was broke. She said, well, it was his girlfriend. I said, well, how does a broke guy with a metal garage have a lady with a 60-foot sailboat? <laughs> well, he'd go on a, on a 900 number. I said, what are we talking about right now? What is that? She said it was like a Match.com in the 80s and 90s. I said, are you kidding me? She said, no, why are you focusing on this? I said, this is because this is why I make movies. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was trying to think of who, so the girlfriend did make it possible. That is true. And she did have a big sailboat. And that is where the idea first came from. Now to create her as this singular creature, who else is like Isabella Rosalina? Let's think. Nobody. So, I mean, I just love listening to her speak. Uh, When David first approached me to do this, I felt in a way, why did he want me? <laughs> and I said to my daughter, am I, really, am I really that scary? I don't think of myself as being that scary. And, and she said, actually, to me, Mom, you are. You be, you this. Isn't that a story you told? me? <laughs> so, so I just think she's, I wanted someone very singular. I wanted someone who felt continental and romantic, yet who had just had been like, a working girl, wife of a garmento. You know, I could see her whole story there. She met him in Milano at the swimwear trade show. You know, and my, and my father was a salesman, so I have great respect for salesmen and all the world and the, the people that put bread on their family's tables. And so she has this continental, elegant air about her. Um, yet she's tough, and she also uh, is a work is someone who worked. So. I thought that was very special. And she and Robert had a very special chemistry in the car that I liked quite a
0: bit. Well, mm. I, I mean, I'm very interested because, I mean, you started acting in Vincent Minelli's A Matter of Time, you know, that, that starting with Bergman. And you've been working steadily ever since. I don't know that everybody in this audience is aware that partly because you do speak Italian and French and, and other languages, you're constantly making films in Europe that we yes. don't even get to see. I mean, I found <laughs> out about your Josephine in,
2: in... Oh, it's my Josephine. I with, you know, when I it, talk about Napoleon, I always indicate myself because <laughs> I played his wife. So I say, no, no, because Napoleon. And then people say, why do you indicate yourself? Because I'm Josephine. <laughs> but... What I'm interested
0: in, because we know that David O'Russell works with actors in a way that brings out the best in them, how was it different? For example, was it a question of rehearsal or improvisation for you? What were the aspects that distinguished the set of joy from, I mean, I'm not gonna list all of them, but I think of Blue Velvet and uh, Big Night, and I think of um, Cousins and Guy Madden's films and John Schlesing. You've worked with some of the
2: greats, Peter Weir. Yeah. What's different? Well, every director works differently. Including and your father. Including my father. And one of the things that I love the most is to work with different director and being directed by different hands. First of all, if the directors are as wonderful artists as David is, it's almost like taking a, a trip into their mind, you know? And if the mind is interesting, the trip is very interesting. So I am um, try to be as available as I can. And David, I mean, to just say something that, that I think surprised maybe in the American tradition, but I quickly felt at home, David talks during the take <laughs> and some when because I wasn't the only actress that was working with David the first time and so I could see that some of my colleagues were thrown because generally the director says action silence it starts with silence said by the assistant director then mark and then action and then cut and then you can talk but David directs you while you are doing the scene and um, It surprised me at first just because I hadn't heard it for a long time, but my father directed like that. Because in Italy, all the film are dubbed later. Fellini, who was my father's assistant, directed that way. And it probably comes directly from silent movies, where the director directed right there. And I think it feels like an orchestra director. Once I was a voce recitante uh, in 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 an opera, and it was amazing because he, the director, the orchestra director was telling to the field, a little higher, a little lower. You know, it was happening right then, and I felt very much like that with David. So I felt totally at home. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Isabel. That's good. I actually heard when, when you did the screening for SAG a, a few weeks ago, the actor Edgar Ramirez from Venezuela who plays Tony, he mentioned something about you never knew where the camera was going to be. You know, he, he found that it was scary and liberating at the same time, that you, he never knew what to expect. And I didn't know, is that, did you want to have this kind of spontaneity where an actor isn't just rehearsing and then doing exactly what he or she is
1: supposed to? Well, first let me correct this um, notion, because first I write a 176 page script, which I keep rewriting, right. um, all the way into pre-production and on the day of. Um, and I, don't, I think I don't, I don't know that I'm the only filmmaker to do that. I also this, have to compose every shot. You can't make these films on our schedules unless you have a very detailed plan. Um, you, having said that, and, and this film in particular had a very specific visual design that was preconceived um, with the frames, inspired by Edward Hopper and Andrew Wyeth in particular, and some of the classic cinema of the 40s and 50s, Was which we wanted a timeless feeling with more master frames and almost a black and white palette in the first half with more backlit and silhouettes. Um, And the second half kind of becomes colorful when she enters this other realm and defines her own space. Because in the first half, she's defined by the space of others. Um, Having said that, there are moments when you need to make a scene happen. And if I remained formal, we would never make our schedules. You know, To make a cinema that is about human beings principally, which we've done for four films now, which have reached wide audiences. And I should be sure to emphasize that point because I have great respect for all so many kinds of cinema. But we've had the pleasure and privilege of reaching wide audiences with The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook, and American Hustle, and Knock on Wood Joy. That's not easily done in today's marketplace. You need to have a lot of uh, usually action or, or, or animation or special effects, to reach a very wide audience. Um, So that's a special, very small landing strip. And the reason I take all this time to tell you that is it means that we have a bargain with the studio that says this many days. And we invite that, and we say, okay, and We make it part of our process. And Robert De Niro welcomes it because he says it does add a sense of immediacy. But it's not my plan to do that way. I'm not John Cassavetes. We don't make up dialogue on the day. We're We're not doing what he did. We have a plan, and we're following it, but here it comes. The baby's crying. The Edgar scene's a good story. The baby's crying in Jennifer's arms. She's saying, I don't want to shoot this scene with the baby crying. I said, what are you talking about? This is over a screaming baby. What are you talking about? That's what the scene's about, a screaming baby. And she, and she goes, but it's upsetting to me. I said, perfect. <laughs> because you're about to get a divorce right now, and you're about to tell your husband that you can't do this another second. And she said, but well, it's just so upsetting. I said, yeah, let's film it while you're so upset. And so, um, so she's crying and holding this crying baby and, and her husband, and t- during that scene, if we did it formally in that, we would have lost a day. You see what I'm saying? On a regular schedule. But I like to be very responsible with the budget and everything. I believe it's important to be a good partner to those who take a chance on you, especially in today's multi, there's so much media and so many so many things being made. So... During the take, I then I then start. It's like a, it's a circus, and I'm saying and I'm trying to make everything happen. I say, Edgar, start shouting at her in Spanish. What? I can't hear you over the baby. Edgar, talk to her in Spanish. What? I don't know. Just say, you know, beg her to stay with you. Say some things. Okay, now Edgar, pray in Spanish. What? Pray. And then Edgar's famous that he says halfway through the scene. I said, now Edgar, cry. And he said, what? <laughs> I said, cry. And he said, well, I need him. And I said, no, 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 just cry. I say, he said, what do you mean? And I, this is a great method of acting. You can go from the inside out or you can come from the outside in. Yeah. And I do believe both are legitimate. I can make myself cry right now by the outside in. So Edgar, So I said, Edgar, I didn't remember this. He remembered this. I didn't remember this. Um, he, he said, he said and I and I started going right there. I said, look, like me right now, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is while the camera's rolling. And so then he started faking it and then he started to cry for real. So that's an example of, I think, what you're yeah. talking about during the camera.
2: No, I mean, so it's it's true. I mean, most of the time, especially when you go to acting school, they always teach you to do the inside out. And of course, it's very important that you feel like the character. You anchor your your own emotion to the character. But with David, there were moments that I discovered that I would say, David, just say the line you want me to say it. And he would deliver me, deliver the line, and I would copy it like a parrot. And I found that in the rhythm that he was giving me, like a music, there is emotion. And so I would repeat the same three, four times what David gave me, and and then it was outside
1: in, just by the rhythm of the delivery. Because and I, was, I thought that was a terrible cheating thing to do that you were not allowed to do. That there was like an indication. You're not, never supposed to give an actor a line reading. And it was the great Dustin Hoffman who uh, told me that it was a perfectly legitimate way to find a character, because rhythm and music of talking and how someone talks is a character. And if you repeat the rhythm enough, if I, I enjoy imitating great characters from cinema, whether it's Razzo Rizzo or, or Benjamin Brannock, I can feel like that character, just like what I did with Isabella. I feel like Isabella when I talk. <laughs> I love talking like you. I love talking. To- I, I could do it all day. Um, <laughs> I have so much fun doing it. Um, So that is true. There's a rhythm, and there's the rhythm. And I have songs I sit on for 20 or 30 years that I want to put in a movie, and I will shoot a scene, too, such as Nat King Cole, A House with Love in It, or Prokofiev, Cinderella, um, and others. But I also have lines of dialogue that I feel in a rhythm, and so that's part of the character.
0: even, I mean, I love the scene where Trudy is asking Morris's four questions, um, you know, and and Joy's going to have to answer correctly, and on the one hand, there's, you're a little dangerous, uh, the character doing that, but I felt that the one, two, in other words, there was something about the rhythm of the delivery that was juxtaposed with the dangerous edge, and I found the scene absolutely magical.
1: Yes, that's one of my favorites, (laughs) and And I loved how fierce she was. In that. she's a combination of rare vulnerability, and authenticity, and and uh, scariness. You know, so that she can do. And I, I wrote that for you in that way. So you would say those questions. And the first two questions are actually questions I do ask people. And people say, well, how could those? The head of the studio was, a, was an attorney. He said, I, I don't believe Jim Gianopoulos from uh, Brooklyn. And I love him. He goes, I how do you, you're going to give somebody money. The first two questions, David, uh, where'd you go to high school? I mean, how is that a legitimate <laughs> question to give somebody money? And then the second who were you in high school? I said, Jim, I ask everybody those two questions. And I found out a lot about them with those first two questions, a lot. Where did you go to high school? Forest Hills
2: High School. Terri-
1: <laughs> Where did you go to high school?
2: Italy, at the nuns.
1: <laughs> Italy, at the nuns. Okay, so, and who were you in high school?
0: Um, I was the person in charge of all the musical productions called Sing. It was a, it was a competition. Somebody here knows about it. We had a musical competition. The you know sophomore, junior, and senior year, we would put on a show every year, and that was my life was very tied up with that.
1: So you were an impresario even then? Yeah. (laughs) And who were you in high school? Oh,
2: I I was the donkey. You know, the one that the nuns give you ears like this and they put you on the corner because you're a really bad student. (laughs) (laughs) They call you the ass, you know, the donkey. Why? Because I never did the homework. uh, I skipped, I pretended to go to school then... Uh, I, you know, I pretended to enter and I would exit another door and would take the bus and go to the beach and come back when the school was over and go home. I was really bad.
1: <laughs> wait, wait, so how do you say donkey in Italian? As you know. As you know.
2: Yeah. I feel another
0: movie in the making here. <laughs>
1: um,
0: I was struck by the introductory title inspired by the stories of true women. It's in the daring, plural.
1: Daring women. Daring, I'm sorry. True I'm saying, stories of daring women. True story, exactly. One in particular, yes.
0: See, thinking about the donkey and Forest Hills High School, I get... That's okay, that's you're about. allowed to get it <laughs> right. But um, why the plural? In other words, we know that we're going to be seeing pretty much the life of Joy Mangano. Could you talk a little about the strong women in general?
1: Well, to me, you know, like I said, I didn't want to do you know, a biopic. That doesn't interest me. Just like I had no particular desire to make a movie about abscam scam or about boxers. You know To me, it was about the people. It always begins with the people and the specificity of the people, how they talk, what they love, what makes them love life, uh, what they're afraid of, how they dress, what their houses look like, how they, you know, how they love and how they hate. So that was the question for me in this picture. And to me, it was inspired by, in part, Joy Mangano, whose last name is never said, but joy is a wonderful word for me as a director. You know, my friend Spike Jones said, will the movie also be about that emotion? I said, yes, at each different age, because that's the question for me. What is mature joy, and how is it different from childhood joy? Also, my mother is an inspiration. She had many adventures. She started at her kitchen table, um, including trying to get people elected locally. And and, and I love kitchen table ventures, where people are hovered around that kitchen table. Um, And I love that determination of someone who's going to try to do something. Um, and I also poor Lillian Vernon, may she rest in peace. She died yesterday. Uh, Lillian Vernon was an inspiration to me. She grew up. I'm from a We broke out of Brooklyn and went to the suburbs. I was the first generation out there. And uh, you know, uh, she was in Mount Vernon, and she named her company after Mount Vernon. And she was the first successful, very successful woman mail order for home products. And mm. it was always a big deal in our house when you got one of those things. You know, um, whether it was for the kitchen or the bathroom. And so she was an inspiration to me because she had a Latino husband. And I wanted Jennifer to have a Latino husband because I wanted her to speak Spanish because I speak a little Spanish. And I just like challenging her to do different things she hasn't done before. And I also like multiculturalism. So her husband did want to be a singer, Tom Jones. He did live in the basement. They were the best divorced couple in America, which is something I haven't seen. But he wasn't Spanish. Lillian Vernon's husband was Spanish, her third husband.
0: And... Because Joy Mangano has a credit as executive producer and presumably was involved with you in the shaping of this, did she have any problem? In other words, what role did she play in terms of either limiting or giving you complete freedom?
1: She had to give me complete freedom right away. I, I, Jennifer and I wouldn't have done it. Because Je- Jennifer said, well, we'll do it if we can do what David and I do. you know. And so uh, we were very frank about that. And she was trusting, uh, and I had many phone calls with her. I didn't want to meet her in person because I didn't want to feel beholden to her personally. I know how hard it is to have a story made about your own life. I did it with the people in The Fighter. I know how difficult that is. How could any movie really feel like your life? It isn't. It's something else. It has pieces of your life in it. Uh, I, I remember meeting Robert Redford at the New York Film Critics a couple of years ago, and I said I, what a hero he'd been to me, and he's responsible for my first marriage uh, and my first film. And, you know... Um, to, you know, uh, And I said, I read a biography of you, and I thought you're, he said, that's all horseshit. And I said, I'm sorry? He said, it's all horseshit. I said, weren't you a juvenile delinquent in, in Van Nuys? He said, yeah. I said, well, didn't you go to Europe and live on, you had nothing, you had no money? He said, yeah. I said, and, I, and he stopped me. He said, well, hold on in his Robert Redford way. He said, let me ask you a question. How would you feel if someone wrote a book about your life? I said, point taken, sir. <laughs> Um, so Joy spent hundred hours on the phone with me, um, and I just asked her all the questions I like to ask, which she thought was odd, because I, the details I want to know about are not the details she thinks the movie's going to... She felt like she was being psychoanalyzed, <laughs> and I asked her what people wore, and I asked her what, you know, what soap operas her mother watched, and you know all that stuff that she didn't think was important. You know To me, that's the movie. Um, so she was involved at that degree. And after that, we took, we took it from there. And uh, she's now come in, and fortunately, embraced the spirit of the film. And um, I'll tell you one little story about when I did meet her in person, um, which is Robert De Niro insisted that we meet the real father, Rudy, and Joy in person. And we, Jennifer, Robert, and I did it. Um, and Robert let his office, like Rudy's garage, be the home of the beginning of this movie. And he was very gracious. And he would just come in and out. He was very benevolent, and he's we we soak up a lot from him because he he runs a lot of businesses, he has many children, he has a big family, and he has to balance all their needs. And he was the godfather in part two, and <laughs> and 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 we are we we all fear, love, and respect him. So he was being like Rudy, letting it all get born in his his office, and he just come and we'd let us do our auditions there. Did you audition? There? Yeah, wow. I auditioned there. So. In this office, we, but then we went to his lobby of his hotel and we sat there with Joy, Rudy, and the daughter, Christy, very beautiful daughter, who grew up, that's why I wanted to show her a little bit grown up in the end, to run her mother's business. She's <laughs> a formidable young woman. It's a, truly a family business. And uh, first thing out of the father's mouth when they sit down, this 80-year-old man in an argyle sweater, first thing out of his mouth is, when I created all these things, when I did all these things, and we know that's not true, and we know that, and we know that he sued her and lost. Um, and we also know that without him, none of it would have happened. And we know that she loves him and forgives him. And we looked at her to see if it was going to be like you know, the Jerry Springer show, you know, where she was going you know, <laughs> to grab him by the throat. And she, we, we learned so much about her in that moment. The way she sat there and just looked at him with love in her eyes and didn't say a darn word, didn't make a face, didn't do nothing, didn't look at us didn't wink, didn't laugh, and we said, that's Michael Corleone, and and I've never seen a woman in business, with a family business, being Michael Corleone like that, and that was why we were making the movie, (laughs) because she has a very big spirit, you know, um, and her husband works for her without any threat to his masculinity, he works for her and he's her ex-husband, so these were all things that we loved. Wow.
0: I mean, it's true, in the film, early on, I thought, this woman is a paragon of forgiveness. I would not have the patience, you know, with the father and the (laughs) ex-husband and the half-sister. And I just, I had to, you know, reorient my sympathies to understand
1: this is what she was, and it worked. She was born that way. She was the one, some people are born that way. Her, Her grandmother, who was her true rock, more than her mother. Her mother was more like her third child, she always said. And that happens, that just happens. People are born that way. Her mother was born like this bird-like creature, and her grandmother was very formidable and always said that she believed in her, and that's all it took was for one person. But to be the unanxious presence in the room, you see? And that's very, very powerful. Her grandmother's quiet but very strong, and Joy was the unanxious presence in the room. And that's a great power. When she says at the beginning of the film, this here, this is a power. I don't need a prince. This is a special power. That's the power of anybody who will try to do anything, in any, whether it's business, marriage, cinema, art, you will be alone. And that's why these frames were so important to us. You will walk through the valley alone, ultimately. Um, no one will do it except you, ultimately. And you have to that's why we liked framing her alone on the streets of Dallas, alone in that Edward Hopper shot of the window. She had to go alone. She had to do it herself. And she read all those documents herself. No one else read those. She was cooked, <laughs> done, over. And she read you ever try to read patent documents and legal documents? I couldn't read one. And she found the guy and she got the goods on the guy and she went and faced him off and beat him like a gangster. She made her bones. And then when she walked out of there, she was a different person. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. No, I, I mean, and two things.
0: I, I commend you because I think that most movies these days, they still believe that, the prince. In other words, that the romantic comedy has to have the kiss before the end. And even though I feel sometimes your kinship with Frank Capra films or others of the 30s and 40s, I think it's great that joy remains her own person without depending upon a man for for validation and that makes this film a bit different from the mainstream. And I also love that you cast as her grandmother, Diane Ladd, who for many of us still incarnates, I mean, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, you know, she she received three Oscar nominations for Supporting Actress, Diane Ladd, for Alice Doesn't Live Here and Wild at Heart and Rambling Rose. So, you know, inspired casting for someone that incarnates a whole history of American cinema feminism, you know?
1: Yes. She's a wonderful woman. She's an ordained minister. She was a very important person on our set. And these two have a very funny uh, karma together. Uh, her, <clears throat> Martin Scorsese's one picture devoted to women, Alice doesn't live here anymore, uh, had Diane in it. And yeah. You were married to Marty shortly after that, right? I was married to Marty, but Diane. So Diane always
2: says that she has. My, my mother was nominated the same year and Alice doesn't live here anymore. I think it was for Autumn Sonata, and then, and then I of course I worked with Diana's daughter Laura Dern, the great great Laura
1: Dern in, in, the in great Blue Velvet, in Velvet.
2: And, uh, and and Wild at Heart.
1: So, but what she says most interestingly, Diane, and with her big-hearted nature. Is that she she felt good that the Oscar went to a good purpose of Ingrid Bergman, who had been with that Academy Award symbolically welcomed back to Hollywood after being ostracized for 20 years for having married a married man, um, and that she thought that was very beautiful and forgiving. And I think I think the power of forgiveness is the greatest power in the world, and it 's a true indication of strength mm. so to go to your point about forgiveness, you know that was anyway yeah, that 's what I really got from Brando, who also teaches people to cry from the outside in or did um, um, he, DiCaprio told me about an acting class that Brando taught in the valley for some weird afternoon, but he did, he, he would he brought in a homeless guy and just had him do stuff that they all did um, but, uh, <laughs> but 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 the way but but the, but the way Brando uh, carried his authority in that picture was as a very forgiving person. Um, and I think that's especially powerful to me. Yeah,
0: um, I have a question also for Isabella Rossellini in, in terms of comparison because I remember being on the jury of the Berlin Film Festival in 1998 where we voted you an, a special award for your performance in Left Luggage. Yeah, this, is a- this is a film that I urge you to see on Netflix <laughs> where you play a Hasidic woman. Yes. And this was you know, very strange for me after seeing you Blue playing Velvet. the Dangerous Torch <laughs> singer, Dorothy in, in Blue Velvet or countless other films. But I'm aware of how you've worked in different countries on the one hand, but also independent versus Hollywood films on the other, which of course is true for you as well. You started out with, you know, Spanking the Monkey and flirting with disaster, and now you're you've got a fox release, not fox searchlight, a big fox release. But for you, is it very different the experience of making a film, um, let's say, with a European director, or is a David O. Russell set sort of a mixture of the
2: Hollywood and the a mixture. I artisanal? think that uh, I don't know. I'm often asked uh, the question why I make those in this sort of independent film. And I, don't, I give an answer, because I feel like I have to give an answer, but I don't really know the reason. I think there's two reasons. One, the personal reason is that my father was an independent director, or whatever you want to call it, an artist. So when somebody comes with a very different handwriting, I am fascinated by it, instead of saying, mm, is he going to be commercially viable? I don't know. I don't think about it, because my, my family never talked about that. Um, so. I am actually so surprised that that David works at Fox. It's incredibly lucky because you know, because you're so artistic and so original and so different, and it is quite extraordinary. So the, the other reason that I don't that I'm not hired, I think, in in big Hollywood film. Um, is that I have an accent, and it's always a little bit hard to integrate me. I can never be part of a family. So, you know, yes, I speak languages, so I compensate by working in France, in Italy, in Holland, in Sweden. Um, But every time you hire me, I can never be a sister. a daughter. I can have brothers and sisters. You know, I'm always a little bit, the. I have to be the outsider. Well,
0: there's something slightly, shall we say, exotic as opposed to outside. Mm -hmm. Something a bit more cosmopolitan, a bit Mm -hmm. more international. And that, I think, only feeds into, I mean, it makes Trudy a far richer
1: Continental. 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 As Robert De Niro says, you've got an accent. Continental. Continental. (laughs) And
0: one other thing, though, you are yourself a director. I mean, I think some of you are aware that especially for the Sundance Channel, Isabella Rossellini has, back starting around 2009, been directing like 40 short films already. Yes. <laughs> Green Porno is the overriding title. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm just wondering for you, is the experience of something like playing Trudy in Joy, you know, how does that feed into whatever
2: you do as a director, or are they two different worlds? Well they are a little bit two different worlds uh, uh, because my my films are very eccentric they are i transform myself i say if i were a a fly, then I transform myself into a fly and a, i made this way or i court, i have courtship so it's um, it, it, but i think it further liberated me from any um, fear, do I look good, because I play a worm. <laughs> I, You know, I play a duck, a, a worm, sardine, so, a, sardine. a sardine, so it doesn't matter. And I, I actually think that also whatever I write uh, for myself, it's comical, or at least I hope it's comical, but people seem to laugh. And uh, that wasn't
1: something that was offered to me often to do something comical. They're extraordinary. And I I want to try to produce an hour or something that can go on television, because she did it in a huge theater in Boston when we were shooting. The whole cast went to watch her do this performance that's extraordinary. Because I, I made a monologue out of my films. And you learn all about nature which is, becomes this profound meditation on existence. It's just unbelievable. And she's acting out with these big papier-mâché objects. You know, if, if I was a sardine, I would have to be on uh, in the inside of the, of the school. That is where it is safest. But in the middle of the school is the least amount of oxygen. So I'm constantly having to go to the outside of the school so I can get some oxygen. But that is where the predators will come and eat me. So I'm constantly... And I, I mean, I loved it. And it's, just, it's, it's remarkable. And it's, it's all about how they mate. And she'll tell you all about the coacula, the coac, the what? Cloaca. Cloaca on the turkeys and on The turkeys, the turkeys that are bred now are too big, so their coaculas can't meat. As I told you, it's mating. Uh, well, here we are with the coacula. <laughs>
0: You're making me think of the Haitian dish in Joy. Sorry, I... That's
1: chaka. Thank you, yes. Yes, yes, that's
0: chaka, Um, I know we don't have too much time. I found out uh, just before we went on stage that this man has a plane to catch because he's in the midst of a lot of promotional activity. But I did want to ask a question that incorporates Joy and some of your other work because I feel like you're one of the really best directors in terms of questioning through your films who we are as Americans. I mean, you seem to really be posing this question, whether it's the family in, in many of the recent films, but I'm thinking also of one of my favorites of yours, which is Three Kings, where it's you start out assuming that it's one kind of American dream to get rich, one kind of heroism maybe, and then you realize as the film goes on that it's conscience and it's about enacting the ability to save somebody, to rescue, as a, that's a different kind of American dream or heroism. And here, too, I, I find that in Joy, you're taking what could have been a very ordinary life, the word is used at the beginning, and seeing what was extraordinary from the beginning. Um, is this something conscious for you, or is it just that you're drawn to these compelling stories that happen to have American people at the center who could have been sort of dismissed or marginalized?
1: I am interested in ordinary people, and I did discover in the last five years, starting with The Fighter, which is a new chapter for me, that who you are is defined by where you're from and who you loved and who you were surrounded by, even if you struggled with them. And there's a great deep intuitive truth you can find in that. And the fact that I could find that truth about the people in The Fighter um, even though I'm half Italian and half Russian, I'm not Irish, I, I related to that family, and I, that was able to make it very personal to me. Um, and that's where women characters started to become very powerful to me, with Melissa Leo, who you know, was honored that year, and the Seven Sisters in that film. And, and uh, Silver Linings Playbook, I love the homes. I, 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 I suppose I, I love community, and I love neighborhoods, and I love homes. And I, um, I'm fascinated by them. And I feel like there's something very profound about families. Everything's right there. Um, the deepest feelings, um, the deepest en- animosities, um, <laughs> the deepest betrayals, uh, the deepest loyalties. Um, so these are all things that I do love. Three Kings is a different question. Um, you know, I, I was surprised that no one had made a picture about that war, and now that war has gone into syndication. <laughs> I mean, that, that was when it was the first war, not even the second war. Come. And I just, My only commentary on that will be, I, I came to think that the first George Bush had been right when he said, I thought he was I was wrong when he didn't try to establish democracy there, but it turns out he was quite right. It's very difficult to do, and perhaps, <laughs> perhaps not our business, and perhaps if we didn't go over there, perhaps a lot of other things might not have happened, mm. um, uh, in my opinion. Now, regarding Fox, the studio, uh, we're very fortunate this is a Fox picture, and it's as I say, an extremely rarefied air where you have a talent like Jennifer Lawrence who has two franchises and is a great actress. Very unusual climate where only certain plants will grow, those, that confluence of things. And that I happen to have been making this commerce for them out of these almost art films about people. Mm-hmm. You know, So that's that's rarefied air that could evaporate in two seconds. And I did bring in Megan Ellison, who's a very daring woman, young woman, the daughter of Larry Ellison. Um, And she's a very brave, young, uh, gay woman who has financed uh, American Hustle when other people wouldn't. And uh, I brought her in for a piece of this picture, um, because I wanted her there, because she's like my godmother. Um, she, She knows how we make independent films. She's worked with Spike Jones and Paul Anderson and numerous other directors. And uh, Catherine Bigelow. So I feel safer when she's there because she understands how we make independent films. And so I was very happy for her to be part of this. And I was all, you know, so Fox wouldn't have offered it to me if we didn't have all those conditions.
0: No, and I mean, to me, this is an example of an independent film under a studio label. And I, I, you know, in closing, I just want to say that one of the lines I'm constantly quoting to my students is from the great philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he said the invariable mark of wisdom is to find the miraculous in the common. Ooh, and it wonderful. seems to me that Joy and your other films fulfill this beautifully. Thank you to Isabella Rossi. Thank, Thank you. For Thank you, Emma. Thank, you, Thank, you, Thank so you, Thanks for listening. Nine Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations on 9toiondemand.org.